Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest is Saudi Arabian native, Abdullah Fernayan. And he's probably the most unlikely friend that I would have. And recently traveled together to Greece. And there I really started to understand his culture. So thrilled to have him on the show today to really unpick what it's like to live in Saudi Arabia. He's a serial entrepreneur. He owns hotels, he owns restaurants, and he works all over the world. So I'm thrilled to welcome him on to the show. Abdullah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is so good to see you, although I have just seen you. We were together in Greece, and I learned a lot about you and your culture and wanted to share that with the world. So thank you very much for being on the show. And I'm going to attempt to say your whole name. Here we go. It's a lot easier to say Habibi, but uh, which is a <laughs> word that I've heard like a million times. It's such a sweet word. It means dear, I think, or dear love. It, it does uh, mean dear. Dear, yeah. I, everyone's a Habibi. I mean, you were saying Habibi to the taxi driver in Greece, so I didn't feel special. Yeah. Okay, so your full name is Abdullah bin Thanayan bin Obakan. Obaykan, yes. Obaykan. Okay, yes. Oh, I thought I nailed it. So tell us what the bin means. Bin means son. Uh, I believe even in Hebrew, they, they share the same reference when they say their name. So mm -hmm. if you've met an Eastern Jew, they would use the same thing. So, bin, so. And also in Arabic, in Arabic names, some Arabic countries still use that. I, I, I do use that. And so, Thunayan is your father's name, and Obakan is your great-grandfather's name? Thunayan is my great-grandfather's name. Obakan is my great-great-great-grandfather's name. Wow. So you hang on to those names like there's no tomorrow. Okay. All right. So moving swiftly on, Saudi Arabia, you're from Saudi Arabia. You are a businessman, a serial entrepreneur, uh, studying hotels, restaurants, fitness studios. You've kind of done it all. I first met you in New York where you were over here starting a new business, a startup, very stressed out every time I saw you. How was that experience? Obviously, full disclosure, you studied here in Washington, D.C. at the American School. But how different was it for you to start a business over here versus in Saudi? Well, let's uh, go back two steps. I was doing a lot of business with China. So I think I averaged 80 hours a month flying and bouncing all over Asia. I had an interior design business, two furniture brands. So I used to travel a lot and of course a real estate development company. So we used to source a lot from China and he used to bounce uh, all around Asia. At age 40, I celebrated my birthday in an airplane and I looked back at my life and I said, I need a new challenge. I need, I need to change a little bit about my life. And uh, I looked at the world's map and the biggest shark tank was uh, New York City. And I wanted to take that challenge and I set up a startup there, an e-commerce startup that was attempting to bridge click to brick, 
meaning digitally native brands who never had a chance to be on shelves in brick stores and brick and mortar stores. We wanted to give them that option. So we uh, launched a couple of pop-ups, one in Tyson's Corner, one in uh, Philadelphia, another one in New York City and Soho. And we tried to bridge that gap. And that's how I, I moved to the United States. It was an incredible experience, both on the personal level and emotional. And definitely it, it was tough. It was just taking someone from their own environment, putting them in in a more competitive environment without the support of your, let's say, family, friends, connections, and starting from scratch. It is definitely the greatest experience I've ever had. And I still do business in the United States. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to your culture, because there are a ton of I would like to say misconceptions about Saudi Arabia. It's always in the news. It's always controversial. Pop culture portrays it. You know, I think we all saw the Sex in the City movie where the girls went off to Abu Dhabi, I believe, which is not Saudi Arabia, but, you know, it's close and it's the Islamic culture. So I would like to ask you a couple of questions in that regard, because recently there have been some changes under the leadership of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that he is really trying to modernize Saudi Arabia and create more freedom, especially for women. But my perception and my research also shows a little bit of a different story. And I would love for you to be as honest as you possibly can. You know, what we see really mostly coming out of Saudi Arabia is a lack of freedom of expression, association, and belief, especially for women and, let's say, the LGBTQ community. And, you know, full disclosure, I have a lot of friends from Saudi Arabia. I, I'm lucky to serve at the World Economic Forum. We have quite a big contingency come out of Saudi Arabia. So I've built quite a few friends, including yourself, which I'm honored to say as a dear friend. And I also have a gay friend who came to America because he felt like he couldn't live freely in Saudi Arabia. So what is your take on this? And what would you like to say about freedom? You threw a lot of things in just a one-minute sentence. Well, you know me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, the flight of ideas. You jump from one to another, just like me. So let's start with uh, with the misconception. I don't think it's uh, only with Saudi Arabia. It's, it's with the Middle East. And for almost 1,400, 1,500 years, the West, Europe, and the Middle East were friends at times and were enemies at, at, at other times, starting from the Crusades, it goes both ways, starting from the Crusades to the conquest of the Iberian Peninsula and, and south of France and, and, and Sicily. And we've had these clashes over and over. And I think the past two, uh, I'd say 100 years with the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the foundation of, um, of many Arab states, 22 of them, each one had a different approach towards Europe and even the United States. But the misconception, the misunderstanding continues. And, and we go in waves, waves of being friends, best friends at once, and best allies, just like Saudi Arabia and the United States. And now we have this rocky relationship with the Biden administration and the Democratic Party. 
Saudi Arabia, I think, is, is just an easy target. There are 27 members of the OPEC plus, and guess who is being targeted in the media? Saudi Arabia. So having said that, I blame us in the beginning. We lived within closed doors for so many years. We did not show our culture to the world. Our doors were open. It was, I think, the most difficult country in the world to get a visa to if you want to visit uh, as a tourist. There was no tourist visa five years ago. Now the country opened its doors and we have a lot of initiatives including one to make Saudi Arabia one of the top 10 countries that attract tourism. And I think that will reflect in the coming years on the image of Saudi Arabia. People are hospitable. We're just like everyone else. However, one of the biggest misunderstanding is that the world does not come in just one copy. We can't clone ourselves. You're from England. You cannot clone someone from Angola to be an English gentleman. They have their own views of life. They have their own culture, their own religion, their their own understanding of life. And they may be living a happier life than that gentleman who's living in London. And you've well traveled. You've seen poverty in India, but those poor Indians, some of them are, are living a good life and some are not. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, you know, let's just put the record straight that in much of Islam, right, showing your face is not considered, I'm going to have a go at this, aura. Correct. Now we're discussing Sharia. Sharia is actually the, the laws of Islam. And there's so many, there's so many understandings of the laws of Islam, from liberal understanding like Sufism, which comes in different schools, to the four understandings of Sharia, the four major schools, fifth, if we add the Shia. And if we dive into this, we will need 10 podcasts and we won't even be finished with that. I mean, I think we can give the footnotes, right? I can just agree that it is not considered aura to show your face. And in some states of Islam or, you know, the culture of Islam, your whole body should be covered except for your hands and eyes with a hijab and often with a cloak, which is called abaya. And, you know, as you say, that is part of your culture and it's completely acceptable. And I've spoken to Muslim women who want to do it. They feel comfortable doing that. And that's absolutely fine. I, I love the way you define it. You define it as culture. In, yeah. in Islam, yeah. as a religion, a woman cannot pray covering her face. She cannot even perform pilgrimage covering her face. That's my understanding of Islam. But let's go back also another step and, and see what's common between us rather than see what divides us. You've been to a church and you've seen the Virgin Mary in the church. And guess what she's doing? She's covering her hair. And two hours from where you live, and I know where you live, they're Amish people, and guess what? They're covering their body and covering their hair. And not too long ago, to go to a Catholic church, you will need to cover your hair. Yeah, I still cover my hair when I go to a Catholic church. My mother was Roman Catholic, so I was down with that. <laughs> Out of respect for my mother and the church. Absolutely. And, and we do need to respect others and their cultures. I would do the same thing if I went to inside a church or in a synagogue. I would have respect for their beliefs. And it, it goes both ways. And I think we cannot criticize something that we ourselves do it. 
Okay, so if we look at others, Muslims, and we go, oh, they, they're abusive to their woman because they, they ask them to cover their, their hair. The same practice is done in Christianity. It's also done in Judaism, in the, in the Abrahamic religions. But it's also a choice. I believe it should be always a choice. If a person does not wish to worship God and become an atheist, it is his or her choice. If a person does not want to practice a religion, a certain religion, it is their own choice. If you want to convert from one religion to another religion, who am I to stop you? Mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. So, as you know, I'm part of the World Economic Forum, and they have a report. It's called the 2021 Global Gender Gap. And they made Saudi Arabia one of the 10 lowest rank places to live as a woman. In your mind, Abdul, how do you feel it is for a woman to live in Saudi Arabia? I'm not a woman. I cannot speak on behalf of women. I haven't seen those statistics. I don't know where it comes from, but I will give you different statistics that I've also just read preparing for, for this. So the participation of women in the workforce rose more than 30% in the last five years Mm -hmm. with the vision of 2030 that was introduced by MBS, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Women in the past few years since that initiative came out have the freedom to drive, have the freedom to live alone without a guardian's consent, mm -hmm. have the freedom to travel alone without a guardian consent. Mm -hmm. And go abroad. They can go abroad. Yes, correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Have the right to join the army. The number of, of women in senior and, and middle management, I believe, rose 14% uh, in the past five years. I can send you the statistics because don't mm -hmm. quote me on them, but I do have them uh, in notes. Most importantly, it is now a crime for a guardian of some sort, like a father or an elder brother, to force a woman into marriage. And he could face imprisonment if he mm -hmm. does that. So that's mm -hmm. also another form of protecting women and also. However, I did read in the latest report that you do need a male permission to get married. If you are considering getting married, you need the consent of a man within the family. Saudi Arabia follows the Hanbali Sharia. The Hanbali Sharia is a little bit restricted rather than the other schools of Sharia. And it did suggest that you should have your father's consent. If we take this lightly, and we shouldn't, but let's take it this lightly. If I propose to a woman, it's only a gentleman thing to go and ask for hand, her hand in marriage from her father. So if we do it, if we see it in that light, then yes. Do people abuse that tradition? Okay, yes, of course, they do. And that's why there are laws right now to prevent such abuse. There's also another law if your father wouldn't give his blessing, for example, and you have reasons to say that he's just being difficult, you can go to court and the court will marry you and it will become, it will take the place of your father or your guardian, whatever you want to call it. So there are, there are laws that has been introduced to protect women and, and there are initiatives that have been done to empower women. And since we're in, in, in October, for example, Saudi Arabia is one of, of the few countries in the world that not only have a program for uh, breast cancer awareness, but it is actually free of charge for any woman to walk into any hospital and get tested for early detection. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now we're talking about healthcare. I do know that 
a woman before she's able to get an abortion does have to have the consent of a man. I do know that as a fact. In Saudi Arabia? Yes. I do not know that because I, I did not go through that in Saudi Arabia, so I, I wouldn't know what's going on. Yeah. But hey, we've got our own problems with abortion over here right now. So, you know, I think it's both a cultural thing, it's a religious thing, and it's one of the most complicated things across the world. We now have bans in certain states in America where we can't get an abortion. So we're going back in time all over the world in this regard. So I, I can't really call you out on that. Saudi Arabia is a religious country and society is very conservative. And, and, and I must add, abortion for no legitimate reason. And then we can go and discuss what is legitimate and what is not. And it is my body, my rights. And, and I don't want to get into that argument. But as a religious country and a conservative country, I mean, you, you could mirror that to Christianity and Judaism. It is, of course, forbidden to have an abortion. I just want to park this here. Yeah. I do know also that a woman officially needs the permission of a man to start a business. And also, she would need a man's permission to leave a domestic abuse shelter. These information where prior, like all, all what you said is actually true prior to 2015, prior okay. to the 2030 vision, prior to the reform that was led by MBS. And it used to be true in the past, and right now it is not. All right. Well, that's good. You're making progress. Talk about Chop Chop Square, because this is something that we hear about a lot. You actually told me that you witnessed somebody being beheaded yourself as a child and left you with some trauma. What happens there? And is it still going on that you get beheaded when you break some rules? I know that the religious police you have a religious police that go around enforcing certain laws and arresting people that have done, you know, bad things. I know that's been not eliminated, but it, it has been regulated in some regards. But tell us what Chop Chop Square is and what happens there. Let's talk about the death penalty first. The death penalty is still exercised in Saudi Arabia. It is not as easy as, as is viewed. Let's say the biblical law of eye for an eye applies to Islam as well. So if you kill, you will be killed. However, there are sets of rules to make it difficult to take someone else's life, even though they took someone's life. For example, if that person has a, has a mother, a father, even children, they will be asked if they would forgive the person who took their you know, beloved one's life. If only a single member of that family says, I do not believe eye for an eye, and I'm just going to forgive him for the sake of God. They, they can do that. Just it only takes one direct member of the family to do this. So that's mm -hmm. number one. It's not as easy as it is. Other reasons why would someone be beheaded is like basically a terrorist or someone that uses force and killing, okay, to gain wealth. Okay, but he will have to take someone's life, multiple. The person I saw when I was a child was a person who actually took many lives, who was a serial killer, and his only motive for killing people is, is to basically steal their money. And he was beheaded. Right now, Saudi Arabia does not practice public beheading. And again, it, it is more difficult than, than it sounds. It's, it's mm -hmm. not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. But this is basically the Sharia law, and this is basically the, what the death penalty applies to in Saudi Arabia. It's not public anymore. I'm not sure if there are any alternatives into beheading. I need to research that or ask, but I would assume that there will be alternatives. 
to beheading people. But beheading is also a tradition. Right, right. You know, we did that in Europe at some point. You know, we had in France, we had the guillotine, right? But that is long gone. What do you think happens to somebody who's gay? Can you live freely in Saudi Arabia being gay? And what are the ramifications? Let's apply this to both genders. Yes. In Saudi Arabia and in, and in the Middle East as a whole, there's no public display of affection. Mm-hmm. You can hold hands, that's fine, but you cannot shove your face in someone's face. So you can't kiss in public? Correct. Whether you're a man and a woman, or two men together, a man and a woman together? Correct. Public display of affection. This is across the Middle East, not only in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So you're talking about gay. I'm sure that there are there are homosexuals everywhere around the world. And if they practice between closed doors, who is it that says that they're homosexual or just, you know, boys having a boy's night out? Uh-huh. So I, I do not know where that comes from. But between closed doors, anything could happen. But is there a law in place that says you are not allowed to be gay? Homosexuality is a law. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but religion. Like when you go back to the religion, it is, of course, forbidden to have Mm -hmm. homosexual relationships. Right. Okay. And I understand there is no form of family law in Saudi. Is that right? As in, as a woman and a man, can you freely get a divorce? And is it Is it of equal stature? If a woman wants a divorce or a man wants a divorce, is that equal? As in, is it just as easy for a man to get a divorce than it is for a woman? You go to court. Courts in Saudi Arabia usually put you in in marriage counseling by law. Mm -hmm. You could refuse to go through the marriage counseling and you go, you know what, I'm done. And then you go through the legal process just like in any uh, other country. It is faster to get a divorce, whether it's for a woman or a man, than the state of New York. Mm-hmm. And just as easy for a woman as a man. Correct. If you go through the legal channels, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's bring some fun into this a little bit. Let's talk about dating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is it just as easy for you, Abdul, to date in Saudi Arabia than it was for you to date here in the U.S.? Dating in Saudi Arabia is, is viewed differently. The final outcome of dating, I guess, anywhere else in the world is to build a relationship and ultimately get married, have a family. And whereas New York is a playground, just like any big international city, in Saudi Arabia, because it's a conservative country, if there is any form of, we don't like to call it dating, it's like getting to know someone and possibly this someone is the right person for you that you eventually will get married with and and have a family and have children with it. And this is a cultural thing right here in Saudi Arabia. We don't date just to, you know, sleep around or or just to have a partner for a few months and then jump from one relationship to another. This is still a conservative society with family values to this day. Some parts in the United States probably share the same values. And this is still present in Saudi Arabia. Another form of knowing you can engage in relationships from the workplace, from a cafe, just like anywhere else in the world. Or you can basically just knock the door of her father and go, you know what? I like your daughter and I would like to marry her one day. And how do you know that you want to marry her one day if you've not actually? Let's say you and I work in the same work 
let's say I'm a doctor and you're the nurse. And this is the same also across the Middle East. I would go to your father and go like, listen, I work with your daughter and I like her and, and I would like to ask her hand in marriage. But before then, okay, I would like to be engaged to her. And the engagement, the meaning of engagement here, it is the period where you know the person, get to know them, and eventually marry them. It's like the pre-agreement to the ultimate agreement. But wait, 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 wait. Let's just get some clarity here. Are you allowed to go on your own out with said woman you have met in the workplace for coffee or dinner on your own if you're not engaged? I would like to invite you to Saudi Arabia and you go around and you ask every couple that is sitting together, are you guys married or are you dating or are you... Isn't that what the religious police used to do before they uh, before we're, they stopped interfering in people's life? I don't know. I haven't experienced that. But you know what's right and wrong. Is, is it really our job like to go and like who are you sitting with and, and what is your real intention and all of that? I'm just trying to figure out what the reality is of dating in Saudi Arabia. I know what the reality is here in the U.S. We can go out with whoever we want. We don't need permission. We don't need an escort. We don't need any of that. We don't need a chaperone. My father is not alive. My brother is not alive. There's no males in my family that could give permission. You know, it's just how it is here. I'm just trying to understand. Do you remember those days? What the reality is. Do you remember those days in the United States where if someone goes out with a girl, they would need a chaperone in some families, some conservative families? In the Victorian era, no, no, yeah, the, or the Elizabethan era, in the, yes. Now, in the U.S., it, it used to happen not long time ago. It is almost the same thing here. We're still, we're still pretty conservative society. And let's talk about dating apps: Bumble, Tinder, Match.com. Those apps. Are people using those apps? And if so, how do they get around the? the culture when using those apps? We do have an Apple store. So these apps are in Saudi Arabia. You have to use them to find out. I'm not sure about the quality because I do not use them. But yes, I assume people use them. Again, this is a country of 30 million people. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're people uh, with different values and different understanding. There, There are the conservative ones and there are the more liberal ones. And you can't define the a nation by, this goes back to how we started. We can't define individuals by the standard of, of one nation. Yeah, sure. And so what about sex before marriage? Is that happening? That's a big no-no. <laughs> big no-no. How about sexual freedom? Listen, we struggle with this here also, where 75% of women, you know, are not really having pleasure during intimacy. Is that even discussed in Saudi Arabia? Interesting that you said that. I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and there was a tweet in Arabic, a voting, that says, do you fake it or not? Oh, okay. I'm not a woman, so I did not participate in the voting. I'm waiting for the results to come out. A female guest would probably be a better person to answer you that question. Okay, let me, let me ask you this then. As a male Saudi citizen, do you care that your woman, I mean, you're not married, I know that. Oh, you have been married, but let's say, do you care if your wife is having pleasure? Then again, you're asking a general question that depends on the individual himself. Mm-hmm. Some people do care, some people do not care, right. and, and it depends. Right. 
It's like, hey, do you love your wife? Some people do love their wives and some want to throw them under the bus. It's this is just general. <laughs> and this is you know, I think and these questions are just universal. It does not apply to right. You will get the same probable answer, like if you ask a guy from Indonesia or from Brazil or or from anywhere else around the world. It's and I think it's an individual base, not as not a social base. Oh, this country does not care about pleasuring their woman and this country they go the extra mile to do so. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should dumb this like to this level. I think it's it's individual base. Mm. So to get back to what we see happening in Saudi and what the reality is, are women still supposed to walk behind the man? I don't know where that came from. I really, honest to God, I do not know where that came from. Okay, Abdul, I'm going to tell you where it came from. I have been in Dubai at the airport where on my layover going to India and I see four women walking in their hijab or the niqab, which is sure, the whatever. whole thing, right? Niqab. And they're all walking behind the man. Maybe the man walks faster. I have no idea. Ooh, okay. Honestly, you and I walked together. Sometimes I would walk a few steps ahead of you just to open a door. And I do this when I'm with with females. Yeah, you do. And you're extremely respectful for females. And I love that about you. Thank you so much. But I, honest to God, do not know where that came from. Yes, there's always men who mistreat women in every country around the world. Yeah, it's so true. There's always men belittle women all around the world. And Saudi Arabia is not an exception. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, reflects on your education, your your financial status, etc., etc., etc. But I'll tell you something in return, and this is not happening as much as it used to be. When a woman stands in line to get bread from the bakery or, or even coffee and stand in line, usually the men ask her to go ahead of them. Ahead, yeah. Yes, that really doesn't happen that much anymore. Oh, that's a shame. You ask for equality. <laughs> I know we're very mixed up as women, Abdul. Like exactly. we we want equality, but then we want all the benefits as well. And you know, I must say, I have to tell you this: that you know, I talk about you, but I also talk about all the other Saudi men that I know. And you are one of the most generous people I know. You are one of the most respectful men I know in general. Like all the men I've met from around the world, you show respect. You show honor. You are so generous and giving and loving. And we have a horrible reputation. But you have a horrible reputation. So I don't know where that reputation is coming from because I literally, of all the Saudi men that I know, I just have never met a bad one that shows any form of disrespect or treats women any less than you would treat a man. So I'm, I'm really just trying to get clarity here about where this all comes from. Let me tell you a little story. I was in Barcelona a few months ago, and there is my favorite restaurant bar is near my apartment in Barcelona, and I always go there in the afternoons. And there were two um, uh, middle-aged American ladies sitting right at the bar. And I know the staff by name. They know me by name. I sit next to them. They start the conversation. After five minutes, they ask me where I'm from. Mm-hmm. As soon as I said Saudi Arabia, it's like, right? I kid yeah. you not, their faces, like, you could see it. Yeah. And, and the conversation stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, that's a real shame. And that's why I also wanted to do this podcast, because, again, you're, you're just one of the most lovely people that I know and love. And, you know, we need to do more of this. We need to have more conversations like this. And I think you make a really good point that we have to respect each other's cultures and religions. And I know that if you didn't want to be in that religion, or if you didn't want to live in that country, or you didn't want to be part of that culture, you wouldn't be. And, you know, you have still, you have hundreds of millions of people who wish to be part of Islam. And we have to respect that as the West. Okay, one thing I want to end on is alcohol. It's a huge part of Islam that you are not, and being a Muslim, that you are not supposed to drink. What's the deal? You're not supposed to drink. Uh, yeah, you're not <laughs> supposed to drink, but I don't think I've ever met a Saudi who doesn't drink and drink a lot outside of the country, let's say. You know what? And even inside. Look, you live in Washington, D.C., and heroin is illegal, cocaine is illegal, among a bunch of things. And if you have the means and the wants, you can go out on the corner and find yourself a deal. In the 50s, I believe, and correct my pronunciation, there was the alcohol pro uh, prohibition. Pro prohibition. And alcohol was illegal in the United States. Yeah, and there were little cafes underground that you could go and get wasted. <laughs> That's why we have the speakeasy bars. Yeah. So you see, these practices have been in and out. And as a Muslim, of course, you're not supposed to drink. Should a Christian or, or non-Muslim be punished for alcohol consumption in Islam? Of course not. He's not Muslim, therefore your laws do not apply to him. However, it is illegal to have alcohol as a substance in Saudi Arabia public consumption of alcohol, drinking and driving, you will be arrested. However, it's not a, um, my understanding of the law. You won't rot in jail. You will go to court and then explain yourself. You get like a ticket and a fine. You get a ticket and a fine for drinking or doing drugs. I, I really do not know that, like the specific about the law, but you won't spend even a night in jail. You will be okay. taken to the police station. Even if you're drinking and driving, you'll be taken to the police station. I don't know if they're going to keep you there until you sober up. And then you'll go to court. We have a court system. We're not a, mm -hmm. it's not a police state as, as it's viewed in the, in the West. No, you will have to go through the legal process. For you personally, your friends, your family, if you were to travel abroad, would you feel okay with drinking? It's, again, this is, a, this is an individual choice. If mm -hmm. someone wants to drink abroad or anywhere else he, he feels like it, he will do it. There's not a police officer for every for every citizen. We do not live in the Soviet Union. No, no traveling, no traveling Muslim is followed. No, no, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> it's, it's not the Soviet Union where you have like a, a police officer or an informer uh, that is watching every yeah. step that you do. Well, the Soviet Union are knocking back vodka like there's no tomorrow. Okay, very last question. I just want to talk about contraception for a second. Are condoms freely available in Saudi Arabia? Are, are women allowed to take the pill? It might be a dumb question. Maybe they're being sold in every corner. I don't know. But can you freely buy condoms in Saudi Arabia? You know what? Let's do a little experiment. How about that? So I just typed in condoms. Okay. And this is what I got. It tells you which pharmacy you should go to. And it is okay. $10. And it's six pieces. Six condoms. And to your knowledge, are, are women on the pill? I'm sure. Of course we're still part of the world. Condoms are being used or being displayed in, in pharmacies. Birth control is available. <laughs> we're not from Mars. I mean, we, we live in the same planet that might get blown away in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> My darling Abdul, we are out of time, if you can believe it. Is there any 
lasting words that you would like to say before we go off? I want to say a lot of things, but I think we should look for what brings us together instead of looking for what divides us. This hostility has to end. It's ridiculous. And I think we live in, in a world where communication is so easily and, and getting information is easily. And Saudi Arabia is already accessible. So if you have problems with Saudi Arabia, get on a plane, come and see it for yourself. It's a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for my invite. I'm waiting for my invite. Have an open invite. You know, I think that you and I are a great example of how East meets West. And, you know, the friendship that we've developed over the last four years is just extraordinary. And who would have brought us together, right? We normally would just not be friends, right? But we are. And as I said, it's just been an incredible honor to get to know you and spend time with you and learn about you. And I can't wait to come to Saudi. I really can't wait. Inshallah. Uh, God's willing. Inshallah. Inshallah. I love that word too. Uh, I think Habibi and Inshallah are my only two Arabic words, but I'm going to learn some more. Abdul, thank you so much for being on the show. And I really look forward to part two, where now we've got the nitty gritty over with, right? The perceptions, we've got those over with. We can then have a real conversation about how to change the world. Absolutely. Let's do that. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code PODCAST10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.